Before Sean does his intro, I wanted to make sure that you knew that on June 7th, 2023, at 3 o'clock Eastern Time, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance is once again teaming up with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance for a Building for Digital Equity live stream. It's going to be great. You should check it out at buildingfordigitalequity.com. Thank you. Hey, this is the Building for Digital Equity podcast where we talk to people working to expand internet access, address affordability, teach digital skills, or distribute affordable devices. We talk with those working on the front lines of giving everyone everywhere the opportunity to participate fully in the digital world. Whether in rural areas or cities, our guests here are doing the often unglamorous jobs in places that have been left behind. This show comes to you from the Community Broadband Networks team at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance where we have long produced the Community Broadband Bits podcast and the Connect This Show. Building for Digital Equity features short interviews from Emma Gautier, Christopher Mitchell, and me, Sean Gonzalez, talking to people at the events we are attending to highlight the interesting work and inspirational stories to get internet access to everyone. Now, let's see who we have today. I'm Christopher Mitchell, and I'm talking with Bill Callahan, who on his name tag is listed as Connect Your Community Institute, but is also a co-founder of NDIA, the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. What is Connect Your Community? Oh, Connect Your Community is a little nonprofit. We started in Cleveland 10 years ago, uh, basically to do a bunch of chores supporting digital inclusion efforts in the city. and. One of the things, first things we did was the original uh, AT&T redlining report. Uh, we were the pu- co-publisher along with NDIA, kind of did the research. But it's that kind of, you know, somebody has to sponsor it. Mm-hmm. You've got to have somebody who's a C3 and can handle money to do that. It's it's unstaffed. I'm the director. I don't get paid for it. So That report, I think, was somewhat, like, it, well, it was well received. It seemed almost earth shattering in that it had a level of data we had not seen before that you had collected about the extent to which some neighborhoods were served and other neighborhoods had not been upgraded in two decades. Well, since 2007, yeah, 2005. So, so yeah. 15 years. Yeah, at that time, about right. Um, so, what's that? What's changed since then? Um, well, since the the report was based on. Uh, AT&T's VDSL, uh, U-verse, uh, mm-hmm. upgrade, uh, which was, you know, the not-quite-fiber system that they've got, um, which sends fiber out to a, a cabinet in the neighborhood, and then the copper goes from there, so you get 100 megs sometimes, or right. maybe you don't get that much. Um, but that was their product, uh, and they did that between 2008 and 2011. So we were looking in 2017 at the complete, you know, the result of the complete deployment. In 2017 or 2016, they started doing actual fiber, um, and so they, and they kind of finished that off by 2019 um, for that round. So, what's happened is that we've seen their the fiber added to the VDSL, and that did do some, a few neighborhoods, including some low-income neighborhoods that hadn't been done before. But now we have the complete picture for the sum of those two deployments, which still leaves about 40% of the city including the entire northeast side, without uh, anything better than 2005-style ADSL, mm-hmm. which translated means most people are getting 10 megs or worse. 
Right. <laughs> right, and they're paying the same amount as people and who are getting. they're paying the same amount of money. Yes, they are. Everybody pays sixty dollars a month, right? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Now, how did you find yourself doing this work? Uh, well, I started doing um, computer training and cheap computers for you know people in the neighborhood work in, in 1995 uh, at a community development corporation that I was then the director of, um, which had a lot of people in the neighborhood who were in the, quote, welfare to work program, which used mm -hmm. to exist. Right. Um, and were being told by prospective employers that they needed to know how to use a computer, which was, you know, not something easy to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just basically fell into the idea of getting some old computers for people, fixing them up and doing some classes. Um, and so that had people, you know, in line down the block and around the corner. And we said, oh, this, this is something. <laughs> and ended up creating a neighborhood computer center and it went from there. So I've been what's, working what's on it kept since. you in the work? Well, I, I would be lying if I didn't say part of it is just that once you, you know, kind of have a niche in doing something that, you know, nobody else, well, no longer is it true that nobody else will do it, right? <laughs> but for a long time, uh, you know, somebody had to keep hacking at it or it wasn't going to get hacked at. Other people were like, I might do this, but Bill's already got it covered. Uh, sort of. It was more like there isn't any money, so somebody who has to do it, who, you know, is, mm -hmm. you know, can somehow handle that. Um, that's part of what kept me in the work. But part of what kept me in the work is, uh, as I think now a lot of people appreciate, uh, is a very important issue for a community like Cleveland and um, a very uh, gray, unrecognized issue until COVID hit. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, there was no foundation interest uh, in digital inclusion, as we now call it, in Cleveland until, you know, five years ago. Um, Certainly before COVID, but not very, but not by very much. Right, the Cleveland, so, the, the Cleveland area foundations, I think, are still ahead of the game. But yes. for those of us that have been doing it for a long time, we're still kind of like trying to drag the, a lot of foundations into this work because a, a lot of communities don't have a foundation my, that's really into it my yet. My friend Leon Wilson at the Cleveland Foundation, who has made some remarkable things happen in Cleveland, mm -hmm. um, including giving people a great chance to move forward, like Joshua Edmonds, who's done remarkable work, got to start right with, all, in this work there. A little hothouse out of his yeah. fellowship program, <laughs> right? Um, but, um, I mean, Leon kind of arrived on the scene in 2016, or 2015, um, and uh, really kind of dragged the foundation into this work. Um, but, uh, you know, Leon kind of looks back at the 20 years prior and says, eh, a bunch of stuff went on, but it never really got any traction. I look at it and say, well, yeah, because the Cleveland Foundation wasn't helping. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that's the answer to your question is that it was important and uh, keeping the group of people, the growing group of people who understood it together. Mm -hmm. uh, we went through BTOP and got $19 million to spend, ran a project, money was gone, we were back on the street. Um, so we've gone through that whole cycle of things in the city, um, as has happened in a number of other places around the country. Let's just let's just make sure people and, understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I, this is a, a unique situation that could never be repeated, where right. people were doing the work, and suddenly the federal government made money available, and there was more people that came into that work, yes. and the money went away, and then there was nothing in many places to support the people who had been doing the work, and so they had to go and find other things to do. And this is actually the reason we have National Digital Inclusion Alliance. 
because uh, there was this period, and, and just to be clear, this was the Obama stimulus. Right. Program. 2009 the is when the bill passes, the money starts getting out, 2010, 2011. It's all over by 2012, mm -hmm. right? But in the course of that, there was um, a quarter of a billion dollars that was available for so-called broadband um, adoption, mm -hmm. right? Sustainable broadband adoption. And so a number of organizations that had been running community computer centers or you know, some sort of instructional programs or uh, uh, you know, doing refurbished computers, all of a sudden had some place to go for substantial kind of strategic operating money for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff grew up out of that process and a lot of relationships were formed. And then the money was gone. And with a couple of striking exceptions like Boston, where technology go home, managed to build something which really had legs mm -hmm. with the city and is therefore still there and still doing enormous levels of work. But for the most part, that didn't happen. And so people were back to where they were three years earlier. Um, what really happened, what happened with NDIA was that a, because we had had a lot of relationships built during that time, um, Angela Seifer and a couple of other people had the bright idea of starting to pull together a bunch of unfunded groups um, and try to build support for funding. And here we are uh, at the NDIA conference with 800 people mm -hmm. listening to the Secretary of Commerce talk about the distribution of you know, $2 billion. Right. So, so um, th that's a real different environment. Uh, but I, the, uh, that environment only really began to gel after 2016. And in Cleveland, it began to gel when the Cleveland Foundation started taking an interest. Speaking of a change in environment, which you yes. just referenced, yes, you had a change in environment. And I feel like after 20 years of doing this work, you, a new perspective may have been forced on you in a new, in a new environment. Yes. Well, um, post-COVID, right? Uh, and for family reasons, um, I'm now not living in Cleveland anymore, uh, which I, I wish, kind of wish I was because I'm a Cleveland boy. But I'm living in um, a semi-rural county of 70 miles to the east, Estabula County. First LeBron, and, then Bill. Huh? Leaving Cleveland. First LeBron, first LeBron, then Bill. Yes, I took my talents <laughs> to Pierpont Township. Um, Pierpont Township is... You know, 500 households, no incorporated entities, um, probably a fifth of the farm properties, which is everybody, are Amish. Um, and uh, we live in a house we built in a you know, patch of woods. Uh, you know, everything between us and the state highway is Amish. Uh, that's our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we pay Windstream which was very nice about running a single phone line down a couple of poles uh, when we had to put in the electricity to our house. We pay them 93 bucks a month for 10 meg service, right? So that's a perspective that's yeah. different from the city. <laughs> and a lot of people in the county think we're lucky to have it, right? Um, uh, so yes, so I now have a very personal perspective on the rural broadband uh, problem. But I will tell you that that same 93 bucks is being paid by people in Ashtabula who also have windstream service. Uh, and it, so all it's really done is reinforced to me the fact that there is actually very little difference between the rural broadband issue and the city digital equity issue. It all comes down to what can you get and for how much. And um, you know the, the underlying technical problems, uh, technology problems, um, 
it's kind of take a back seat to the who controls it yes and how much they charge right <laughs> and and interestingly uh you know we have a broadband task force in the county which you know is run by a republican commissioner and which i go to meetings of and help out on and one of the big projects is uh, that they took some ARPA money and they're paying for the installation of some WISPs on towers in some of the most underserved townships. Meanwhile, I continue to work with Digital uh, with um, Digital C in Cleveland, which is basically building out WISP service mm -hmm. uh, in red line neighborhoods in Cleveland Wait, for, uh, for exactly the same reason. <laughs> for some of the folks that are newer, the yeah. WISP is a wireless ISP. Wireless, wireless yep. ISP, yep. and it's the same technology. Right. Uh, and I keep, you know, telling them they should be talking to each other uh, because uh, they're doing the same thing and roughly for the same reason. And um, but, you know, one of them is in the heart of the inner city and one of them is out in uh, very rural territory. But both have significant poverty, I'm sure. Well, actually, it's not really a, the poverty issue. OK, it, so it, rural areas can, can have a lot of poverty. Yeah. But in this case, not the case. Well, in this case, not the case. But uh, in this case, there are people. There are plenty of people who are on the edge. Mm -hmm. uh, there, I mean, Ashtabule, uh County actually has one of the highest poverty rates in Ohio, and some of that is the city of Ashtabula, right? Mm -hmm. But some of that is the fact that there is a great deal of kind of marginal income for uh, in the rural townships as well. Well, I was wondering and, about. That. I mean, a lot of the the folks that are Amish probably aren't claiming a whole lot of income. Well, yeah. And so I always wonder how that, that changes that the stats. it a little yeah. bit. But, but I, no, I'm, I'm talking yeah. about people who, sure. you know, and for the most part are, you know, they're still in farm properties or they're in mm -hmm. little houses and, you know, little uh, township center or something. Mm -hmm. But they just aren't making very much money. There isn't a lot of money to be made for the most part. Right. So uh, it's a challenge when somebody wants to charge you 100 bucks for crappy service, uh, but that's what you have available. And so that's kind of the broadband problem to a large extent that's being confronted. Uh, and um, and it's not different from the broadband problem in Glenville, in the city of Cleveland. Now that said, I feel like you have a solution on the horizon in that the bead dollars are meant for Ashtabula County, but they are not meant the way they were designed for as much for Cleveland's inner city communities. Oh, they're not designed at all for the inner city communities. Uh, it, Cleveland has, because, because Cleveland still had municipal franchising when um, the current cable system was built, mm -hmm. which was built in 2001. Therefore, it was built to every corner of the city on a, on a three-year schedule with reports to city council and financial penalties, right? So um, it got built, right? And then it got taken over by Time Warner, and then it got taken over by Charter, but it's still the same system. And it hasn't required huge technology upgrades or you know, physical upgrades mm -hmm. to still be useful. Obviously, that's not true with AT&T, um, so something different has happened. Right. Um, uh, as a consequence, no bead money, forget it. Mm -hmm. that's, you're out of the question. Um, I do think that the, the, uh, the state of Ohio, uh, which has actually a very good broadband office, um, is understands that part of the problem it should confront is the affordability issue for inner city areas. Um, and so we may find some ways marginally to get some advantage from all this federal money that isn't just digital equity. But there's no question that bead money is really meant to be directed to those townships I was talking about. Um, I think we're going to find a very interesting phenomenon by the time we get around to seeing that money, which is it's going to be very patchwork. Right? There's going to be lots of places that have gotten um, 
you know, Adelphia has kind of, not Adelphia, I'm sorry. Now Charter Spectrum Charter, after a right? couple of interim that, companies? Well, I'm confused because the Adelphia successor company is actually in that county as well. Oh, okay. Right, um, and, um, and there's a funny story about that, which I will not tell now. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, no, I, I Charter, right, right. Uh, is, is a big provider in the county. Windstream, which is a kind of second-tier phone company, uh, mm. is, has fiber in a number of parts of the county. And, and then there, we have CenturyLink in the you know, bottom half of the county, which is now something or other. I can't remember the name. Lumen, Lumen in some it's cases. It's not Lumen. It's oh, it's the Bright you know, Speed they, or Bright? It's, yeah, it's Bright, bright Speed. speed. And, um, and they have terrible service. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but uh, that whole thing is a really mixed bag, and it's going to change as money flows, right? Um, and we also uh, had uh, one of these um, uh, you know, commitments from uh, your friends in Minnesota or, or Wisconsin. Uh, TDS? LT, uh, LTD. Oh, LTD. LTD is yeah. Minnesota. I yeah. was supposed to get LTD fiber service. Oh, right. Okay. On my, on my uh, Amish road in yeah. Estabula County. Sure. Uh, so now we're, that's not going to happen, but nobody else will get that money either. Right. And Starry uh, uh, supposedly is going to provide that in the township to the south. Okay. And that's not going to happen right. either. Yeah. Right. So, Best laid plans. So there's going to be all kinds of claims being made. We have a completely fake company claiming to provide 10 gig service. Oh, 10 all gig over, service. All over the township. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to lie, why not go big? And, and I mean, they don't exist, right? But, <laughs> but they're, you know, they're as they're on the FCC map right now, sure. right? Sure. So um, it's going to be a weird situation when it comes to how bead money gets used. I think it is. Um, there's a lot more I want to talk to you about, Bill. Sure. These are supposed to be short interviews, so we're going to have to cut it off there. Okay. It's, it's well, there you go. Two, two, two sides of my life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and we've done a, we've talked in the past. I think we'll be talking in the future again. Uh, one of the things people can do is definitely as we're working through this series, uh, they can suggest topics that we should talk about. And so um, we're going to keep a tally. And then whether I run into you again in person or whether we do it over Zoom, we'll do it. We'll pick it up again. Yeah, well, let's talk about the politics of everybody losing $30 a month from their, their bills in about a year. Yes, I think <laughs> that's going to be a, a hot topic pretty soon, especially if we see some of the increased signups that I hear some people thinking is going to be happening soon. Yes. Because right now, I think we're forecasting that we got 18 months, maybe, maybe on like a good, um, if fewer people take it. But if a lot of people start signing up, that's going to run out in about a year. Well, it's been running at 400000 a month for a long time. Yes. So. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Thanks, Bill. Chris. Thanks for having me. We thank you for listening. You can find a bunch of our other podcasts at ILSR.org slash podcasts. Since this is a new show, I'd like to ask a favor. Please give us a rating wherever you found it, especially at Apple Podcasts. Share it with friends. You can even embed episodes on your own site. Please let us know what you think by writing us at podcast at communitynets.org. Finally, we'd like to thank josephmckay.com for the song On the Verge. <laughs> <laughs>